you often hear this charge. You Christians are hypocrites. You say thou shalt not kill, and then you support the death penalty. You support the death penalty for murders and thereby sanction the taking of human life by the state. And you support war-making policies and state-sanctioned killing of foreigners implemented by our self-described Christian president. You prepare for retirement by investing money in mutual funds, which supports the U.S. defense industry, which is the largest exporter of weapons of mass destruction and death in the whole world. And yet, you say you want to uphold the Sixth Commandment. That's totally inconsistent. That's what some people will say. Well, tonight, as we continue our series on the Sixth Commandment, we're going to evaluate the consistency of upholding the command, Thou shalt not kill, and state-sanctioned killing. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're in our third part of the whole series on the Sixth Commandment. We're taking on Thou Shalt Not Kill and developing its uh, social and societal implications. I'm John Suttell, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church, and joining us for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario, United Reformed Church, and Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena, URC. The Sixth Commandment says, Thou Shalt Not Kill, and here you go, you Christians who want to Uh, shove your uh, commandments in our face and dictate to us about morality, want to say how much you want to uphold this and affirm thou shalt not kill, and then you support state-sanctioned killing. You support the death penalty. So are you really upholding the Sixth Commandment? Well, in the first show that we did in this series, we said that it is referring to you will not commit murder, that particularly it is the unjustified killing which is done for personal vendettas, revenge, whatever that is being prohibited. But scripture, which is what we are using as our guide, actually says if man sheds another man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. God gives warrant and authority to some in the pursuit of justice to execute those who have forfeited the right okay, to live okay, by okay, such but gross you know, I know, acts. I can hear the response from that already. Even from some, so, from, from some people who call themselves Christians, they're going to say that, that's just barbaric. That's Old Testament, Genesis 9-6 stuff. But under the New Covenant, in this new age, we're supposed to love our neighbor. This is not right. And I'm going to tell you, every time you see one of these uh, state-sanctioned killings and executions, you always see people out there with their little Six Commandments signs saying, Thou shalt not kill, protesting state-sanctioned killing in the name of Christianity. What is the response to that? Well, first of all, how about Scripture from the New Covenant, Romans 13.4, very consistent with the Old Testament revelation, which says... Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. He is God's minister to you for good. If you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So the Apostle Paul is writing in the New Covenant and says that the authorities of the state are God's ministers who bear the sword, not in vain, but to punish the evildoers, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
So clearly in the scripture we have examples of places where killing is sanctioned by God actually for the upholding of life. Okay, but then Jesus on the other hand says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So if you can show me a government that's out si- without sin, then I can show you a government who can lawfully take up that sword and kill somebody else. But until you show me that, then I guess I'm just going to have to sit here and say that still it's a violation of the sixth commandment to, for the state to take up the sword against people who've committed heinous crimes. Well, I want to point out that the Apostle Paul was writing at a time, inspired by the Spirit, by the way, that Paul was writing. He was writing at a time when the Roman government was not a righteous government in any sense of the word. Very unjust, very ungodly in a number of different ways, even on common pagan human ways of looking at things. And still, Paul saw the appointment of God to some degree in the state of the Roman rulers who would execute God's wrath on those who were practicing evil. The Christian tradition has always assumed that God is a God of order, and he gives order in the family by appointing the parents as the head and the father as head of the household, by appointing the ministers and elders of the church to govern and to give a civil magistrate in order that the interaction between families in society will be peaceful, will be that which is done in good order and for ultimately promoting that which for for which God created man, which is populating the earth and taking rule over it. I mean, the question is is going to be one of, of warranted capital punishment or not. I mean, here's where it gets sticky. I know we're going to have some discussion on this, but clearly you can't out and out by principle say that God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, outlaws absolutely any taking of human life by the state. I mean, that's just not biblical. Well, maybe it's just a concession. Somebody's going to say, for instance, Paul talks about treatment, how slaves are to treat their masters, masters treat their slaves. Most people would argue that Paul's not absolutely sanctioning the institution of slavery. It's a concession for the time being. Is there any sense in which it may be argued that this is purely a concession in Romans 13, that the state does have the right to exercise the sword uh, to execute punishment on evildoers? Not likely, because in several different references, both in Paul and in Peter, there is this understanding that there is to be respect for the magistrate, and therefore there is to be that which is necessary for order in society. And part of that order is the execution of criminals, the elimination of those who are disruptive and who forfeit the right to live by doing certain crimes, murder, rape, okay, those things where you violate you. the image of God in others. Describe for me what kind of crimes then are really the crimes that would justify the state taking up the sword in this way. It would pretty much be murder and rape is what you're looking at, and child molestation or things like that would be under the rape okay, category. you broadened it pretty far. I mean, today most people would not convict somebody of a capital crime who— maybe rape is not typical child molestation certainly is not i mean how do we differentiate as christians what kind of crimes deserve a capital punishment and which don't we have to utilize the principles that we see in scripture and in the old testament these were definitely ones that would be death penalty capital offenses there are others also in the old testament where we no longer recognize as capital offenses because we see in the new testament how these become issues for the church to discipline by excommunication rather than by execution by the magistrate. And so these are the distinctions we have to work through. Well, it, it does get a little complex. I mean, there's a couple things going on. First of all, capital offenses under the Old Covenant belong to a particular administration of a political society. Basically, it was a theocracy. God was doing certain things, and certain crimes were deserving of capital punishment maybe for specific reasons in that 
theocratic complex. But what we want to do is go back to the initial place in the world where God instituted the sword for the state and see that there very clearly we have the blood shed of man that will result in man must shed blood to protect that from going further. Now, it is, we are going to have to admit that there is some room here for, de- for debate from natural law and from the principles in the word how far exactly capital punishment should extend depending on the nature of the society and how the best way is to curb these kinds of violent activities. But I think the main point that we want to make is you just can't argue categorically that all capital punishment is wrong. So I think as you look at these texts from scriptures, and there's some we didn't bring out as well, that it, it's really not fair, nor is it logically coherent, uh, to accuse Christians of being hypocrites for, on one hand, upholding the Sixth Commandment, but on the other, the, state's, uh, just, the state being justified in executing criminals who have uh, taken the lives of other people. We come back after the break. We're going to continue to talk about the societal, social implications of the Sixth Commandment, so stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you want to be wise unto salvation and learn to live for God's glory, you need the Word of God. And that's why I'm inviting you to come worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. Hi, my name is Pastor John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, California. We can't promise you you'll be entertained with high-energy music or thrilling performances or exciting worship or trendy programs, but we will promise you that you'll get the Bible. Because in our worship, we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If you want to come to know God through His Word and to grow in His grace and knowledge, then we invite you to worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. For more information, call us at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or check us out on the web at allsaintsreformed.org. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. All right, we're back here after the break on Sinners and Saints tonight. We said we want to take on some of the societal, social implications of the Sixth Commandment, and here we are. We just addressed the issue of whether it's hypocritical to uphold the Sixth Commandment at the same time say that it's just for the state to execute people who've committed heinous crimes against humanity. We're going to take on another uh, side or aspect of this uh, state-sanctioned killing, and that would be in the instance of war. Uh, is it hypocritical to say that we uphold thou shalt not kill, but at the same time, Uh, support a government which uh, prosecutes wars against foreign nations and obviously is being involved in killing other people. All right, because this is fascinating, I know you're paying attention, I want to interrupt to say you got to go to sinnersaint.org, sinnersaint.org, and download the archives of our shows. They're available now If you in MP3 format. You can download them to your computer, burn them on a disc. You can put them on your iPod. You can listen to them, pass them out. We encourage you to do that, sinnersaint.org. And another thing is... 
We have seen a good response recently from you who are listening to the show, visiting our churches, whether it be All Saints Reformed Church, the new church plant in the city of Walnut, or the Pasadena United Reformed Church, or the Ontario United Reformed Church. Listen, we love to see you. We love for you to visit our churches and get a feel for what Reformed worship is like. Come and interact with us on the basic teachings that you're hearing on the show. Uh, Argue with us. Let us have your ear. We'll give you ours, and uh, we look forward to meeting you in that way. Okay, back to our question here. State-sanctioned killing. Well, first off, one of the options would be pacifism, which is that no Christian should take up arms ever against anyone. And that one has always been a minority position, and pretty much most of us here would reject that because scripturally we see something that's interesting. Notice when the prostitutes come to Christ, they are always penitent, and he comforts them because they're confessing sin. The tax gatherer says, I have done the following things, and I will repay those from whom I have stolen. But whenever we see soldiers come, they are not coming and confessing their sins. They are being actually shown as those who are faithful and are coming to Christ to learn or are being preached to by the apostles. And in the one case where a soldier does speak to John the Baptist, he is told, be content with your pay and don't go beyond what you are authorized to do. In other words, Christ is not castigating the soldier for being a soldier, which he would clearly do if it was an obvious sinful act of him being in a, in a position that... Uh, the state would use to wield the sword. So you can't just say, obviously, Christ and everybody else is a pacifist and there's never any just war. So that's the next question is, then when is it proper for someone with the state or the state itself to actually use violence in defense of whether lives or property or whatever else? And that's where I think the Christian just war theory has been very good in giving us a guide. And it tells us that the state is never to be using its power for its own gain. It is not to ever go on wars of aggression. It is never to try to expand its territory through violence. It is simply for defense. Okay, well, let's talk through this. Let's, let's talk through some of the bullet points here in this discussion on just war theory. The first part of this theory says that a just war can only be waged as a last resort. Why would that be the case? Because of the value of human life, war necessarily takes life, and therefore all other means must be exhausted for the protection of life before we commit to something like war where life will be taken. Even our enemies are made in the image of God, and therefore their lives are not to be taken lightly either. So in a sense, this already has within embedded within it um, the principles of the Sixth Commandment, which is thou shalt not kill, do whatever you can to preserve life. And so war should be a last resort only after all uh, diplomatic and whatever processes have been exhausted so that we don't have to unnecessarily plunge um, our resources, the resources of the state and our troops into situations that put them in harm's way and potentially other lead to the deaths of other people. We come back after the break. We're going to continue to talk through some of the principles of just war theory and show you how they relate to the application of the Sixth Commandment. Stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. 
These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. Okay, back here after the break. We're dealing with the Sixth Commandment. It's applications, particularly now in this show, to state-sanctioned killing. We're taking up the issue of whether it's legitimate for governments to wage war and whether it's hypocritical for Christians to say they affirm the Sixth Commandment. But on the other hand... Uh, support government, their government when it engages in warfare against foreign countries. And we're taking up particularly the just war theory. There's a number of aspects of the just war theory. We can't cover them all tonight, but we are covering some of the more important ones. And uh, one of the uh, next principles of the principle of just war is that a just war can only be fought to redress a wrong suffered or to pay back a wrong suffered. The just war then requires that you never be the aggressor. As a believer, as a Christian, you are not going to use violence as a means of gaining that which you should do through work. And therefore, only when you have been wronged are you even able to consider the option of violence or war. Well, how does that fit in with the whole policy of preemptive uh, striking? I mean, if you know your enemy has the potential to take you out and you're not being wise about what you're seeing them do, well, there's several ways of doing it. One, and I think the very last option, is would be a preemptive war. But there's other ways. If you know the enemy is doing this, give him strong warning. Build up your defenses because it's better to use financial means where you don't take their life and put up a protection. That's why we have door locks. That's why we you know, avoid certain parts of cities where we know it's dangerous. We don't just say, oh, that would be a dangerous place for me to be, so I will go there now and pacify it. We rather avoid it. Yeah, sometimes preemptive war is called preemptive, but really is based on past experience. You know, if, if an enemy shows himself repeatedly violent and repeatedly to offend against you, but maybe it's there's been a short period of time in between, and then you are considering a strike against that enemy. Some people might label that preemptive, but that's not really preemptive. That is defensive. That is a redress against past wrongs. You can't just categorize everything. If there has been just one thing done in the past two days as a, a preemptive war in that sense, but it is true. If an enemy has not given you any tangible evidence, tangible reason, real, thoroughly logical uh, reasons to believe there is a threat against you, then no, preemptive war is not justified. Well, okay, let's take on another one. Our time's running a while here. We have another principle is that the violence used in the war must be proportional to the injury suffered. In other words, I guess you're not supposed to beat them to a pulp or how do you quite understand this it's what you teach children like if somebody comes and knocks over your soda can you're not allowed to go and break his arm you know it has to be a proportional response so you can tell the teacher and the teacher punishes him his soda is taken away or he has to buy you a new one but you don't go to the point that you're actually causing bodily harm there so the same principle has to apply to the magistrate but but one of the questions would be here is that if you don't respond back strongly enough 
See, it's not just that you're retaliating for a wrong against you. It's that you're making taking preemptive measure for the next time. So it's sort of a warning. Hey, look, this is what happens when you take us on. Not only are you going to get a, a good beatdown, you're going to get a severe beatdown so that it stands as a warning to anybody else in the future who wants to take this kind of a, an act against you that you are going to fight back. But you would have that. Right, but you would have to justify that, not merely based on the action, the specific action that was committed against you, but on the broader context past history of that those who committed that only that specific action against you the the history of other threats that you have against you at the same time so you see it's not the principle of redress is true but it's not only considering the one specific action that was committed against you but maybe the history of past actions plus it also goes with the chance of success and proportionality all these things are tied together so Yes, something has been done, and therefore this person has now sinned, has now committed a crime, and a response is sometimes very necessary, and sometimes the response will be more severe than other times. But in the just war theory, your goal is always to say, what is the least we can do to ensure further peace and security and minimize loss of life and, and also, as a, sub, as a corollary, loss of property? See, I have to admit that's a struggle for me, probably because I've bought in too much to the American patriotism and so forth but it seems to me you take out an american i'm gonna take out a hundred year people until i get you just to make my point i'm not going to just stop at some pity little response i'm going to show you that you took the life of somebody that was valuable to me right what's and, wrong with that well what's wrong with it is that vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord as a christian and it would make sense for example if we believed that all that there was was this life and that therefore we would have to obliterate any threat absolutely whatsoever to the show as much strength as possible to secure as many innocent people as possible but the point is that we believe in a god who will make all things right in the end and therefore we sometimes have to take it and not pour out our wrath as much as we want and we trust the providence of god that he will make all things right in the end the the key is securing the peaceableness from now forward if that means you do a little more, fine. A little less, good. Well, there's also, as you said, the Christian humility aspect here. When God was sinned against, when Moses and Aaron's rule was challenged by the men in the desert, God took the lives not only of those men, but also of their families and their possessions. So it is for God to do these ultimate bits of vengeance. But as far as the magistrate is directed, only the wrongdoer is to be punished, not his sons, not their fathers, just the wrongdoer. But what if so they're supporting him and sustaining him and propping him up, giving him comfort, aid, and security? Again, Why can't I'll, I take them all out? Because we as believers are to value life, and therefore we are going. To, there's going to be times where we're going to err on the side of caution. And this is, again, this, this has to be always an open, continuous discussion, even when a war is entered into, is... Have we reached a point that we can secure a peace, have enough people committed to ending the violence at the very least? So a Christian understanding of just war is it is never to be considered total war. It is always to be for the ultimate goal of securing a peace. Let me give you a practical example. I know this is such a complex issue. We're just leaving some of the principles and recognizing the interrelationships of the principles, and we have to continue to argue through these things in practical situations. But let's say... If by me taking vengeance on a hundred people because you killed my brother, what, are, what is going to be the result of me killing those hundred people? If it's going to incite an entire group of people 
or an entire civilization against another civilization in war and continuing bloodshed, then what is the point of you going out and killing those hundred people? That is not helping the situation. As a Christian, you have recourse. You know that God will make it all right in the end. So why do you want to create more chaos and more animosity and more hatred by another broader group of people in your so-called seeking out justice? That just involves more innocent people in a kind of violent bloodshed and a cycle of, of rebellion against each other and hatred that we do not want to see as Christians. And sometimes we are called to take the short end of the stick and to pray and trust God for his vengeance and his justice in the end. Well, this is a very complicated issue, and I know that there's going to be a lot of difference of opinion on it. But if you'd like more uh, information about this or continue on this discussion, be sure to contact us, 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Or contact us on the Internet, sinnersaint.org. Send us an email. Check us out. Come by and visit us at worship. We'd love to talk to you more about it. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.